Well, let's pray as we get into the Word this morning. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You, Father God, for the Holy Spirit that's with us today. Thank You for opening our hearts like You did Lydia's, so we too may see Your kingdom. For we have been born from above, and unless a man is born from above, he cannot even see the kingdom of God. He is blind to the kingdom of God. But today, Father, I pray that you help us see what you are doing. You said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And even in this day and age in which we live, may we see you all the while at work in everything in us and around us. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to conclude this uh, God, government, and you with a message from the Lord regarding hope for the future, hope for the future. We have hope for the future because our God holds the future in His hand. That's why we have hope for the future. No matter what today looks like, we're still enthusiastic about tomorrow because we know our God is sovereign, is supreme even over history and the future. But I want to paint for you a, few, a picture of a few things that we are going through so that you can recognize it for what it is. See it for what it is. Oftentimes, people get into great amounts of fear because they cannot see things for what they really are. How many of you know people fear that which they don't know? Correct? Thanks, wifey. People fear what they don't know. And it's important for us to recognize things for what they are. But I want to go through a few realities with you that we face in our world today. In April this year, California released 76,000 prisoners. That's a lot. If you go to the baseball arena here at the White Sox, that seats 40,000. California released 76,000 prisoners, of which 20,000 of them were serving life sentences at the time. While criminals are being released back into society, the innocent is being arrested and even imprisoned. For instance, Pastor James Coates from Canada. He was imprisoned for keeping his church doors open during the pandemic. Others were arrested in Idaho for not wearing masks while singing hymns in public. Then again, as you probably have seen, Australia is, is a complete hot mess. So our government are starting to punish righteous while celebrating the unrighteous. But it's to be expected to have a backward society when it rejects God. The Biden administration, who just shot and killed 10 innocent civilians, including seven children in Afghanistan, it's a complete botched project, mission, they now are labeling American parents as domestic terrorists for verbally protesting, verbally and peacefully protesting porn in public school curriculums. Amazing thing. The criminals are calling the parents domestic terrorists, while at the same time, rioters who burnt down major portions of some of our cities and who killed police officers were called peaceful protesters. It's a complete reverse of righteousness. Unemployment is currently sky high, as you know. Economists predicted that in the month of September, we were going to reach a half a million new jobs. 
a half a million jobs added, only to completely miss, miss the mark, mark, mark with an embarrassing, anemic 194,000 jobs added only. While employment is sky, unemployment is sky high, this particular gangster government is forcing tens of thousands of people, professionals, out of their workforce for not complying to their vaccine mandates, leaving them without an income. This kind of thing is what you would expect from the mafia, right? Not from the government. Do what I tell you or else you have no business. In certain cities, you aren't able to enter a restaurant without, without a vaccine passport, while at the same time, thousands of illegals are pouring over our borders. I mean, things are really turned upside down almost in every area of society. Deception is at an all-time high. I want to read this to you. This is a news article out of the, out, out this week, and it reads, The New York Times issued a massive correction Thursday after the liberal newspaper severely misreported the number of COVID hospitalities among children in the United States by more than 800,000. A report headline, and I quote, this is the headline of the report, a new vaccine strategy for children, just one dose for now, end quote. This article was written by health and science reporter Mandavili. It was peppered with errors before major changes were made to the story. The Times initially reported, quote, nearly 900,000 children have been hospitalized with COVID since the pandemic began. When the factual data in the now corrected version is that more than 63,000 only 63,000 only children were hospitalized with COVID during that whole entire period. 63,000 versus 900,000, it was intentional. The New York Times has pages that you can just go Google it yourself. There are pages and pages and pages of headlines that have had to be corrected just in one year. But they don't mind. They don't mind making a correction on page two the day after they, lay, they lied on page one. You know why? Because it gives them more mileage than what the correction costs them in credibility. It just is the way it is. Send the message the way we need to hear it. We're going to uh, correct it later on. Doesn't matter. Right now, the fear needs to be up. So what you have seen unfold in our day, and this is just the tip of an iceberg, of course. I'm not going to spend the whole morning just talking about the amounts of deception, corruption, and evil that has taken place. But this... Uh, this, what you have seen unfold in our day, is simply, however, the beginning. It's the beginning of things. The future holds many similar and more severe pressures to you, deceptions to deceive us with. The Bible calls the church the pillar and the foundation of truth. The pillar and the foundation of truth. We have to be able to discern truth in our world where we live. You cannot be more fearful over things you ought not to have fear over at all. You cannot be hopeless over things you ought to have a lot of hope for. You cannot live in confusion and chaos, which is the goal they have for you. And the only possible way to eliminate deception is truth. There is no way to flip the light switch other than speaking the truth. While everybody plans to lie on day one, corrected on day two, on the second page, you ought not to become fearful over things you ought not have fear over at all or be deceived at all because we have discernment. 
How come do you have discernment? Because you hold the truth in your lap. The truth. So the future holds many similar and more severe pressures. This is not going to change. Why not? Because this is means of gaining more power. Why would it change? Pressures to shut you down. Pressures to morally corrupt your children with sex, sexually explicit public school curriculums. I don't know if you've heard some of the stuff that they've had in the public schools for six years. Have you heard some of that stuff? I don't know, but I don't know if you can if if it's any different than adult. You know. Yeah, I, I don't know. It sounds just t totally like what I would view as porn. And it's been in our curriculums for six years. Parents are complaining, and the government's calling them domestic terrorists for complaining, after they just shot ten innocent civilians. <laughs> You know, like, at some point, somebody needs to hold somebody accountable. And throughout scriptures, you always see prophets of God speaking truth to power, and it's time for the church to do the same. Of course, this is the beginning. The future holds a lot more deception, a lot more moral corruption. It's going to attempt to try and silence the church again because it succeeded this time around. At least it has succeeded in splitting the church right down the center. Silencing the church and forcing you to comply with every single increasing mandate that they have. When life becomes hard, confusing, uncertain, do I love my neighbor by doing this or do I not love my, love my neighbor by doing that? Let me tell you, you love your neighbor by standing up for their rights and liberties. There's a difference between freedom and liberties. There's a difference between freedom and liberties. The person with freedom is the guy, at least today, in his mindset, in this humanistic mindset, is you can, you're free. You don't have to pay for food. You don't have to pay for accommodation. You don't have to pay for security. You don't have to pay for education. You're free. Well, that's what you get. You get all of what I just listed in a six-by-six six prison cell. And many people want to call that free. Liberty is different. Liberty is when I have the freedom to go and accomplish all of that by being responsible with what God has given me. That's freedom. Oh, that's true liberty. So how do you love your neighbor? You stand up for their liberties. You stand up for their freedoms. You stand up for their rights. That's how you love your neighbor. You don't love your neighbor by demanding they give up all their freedoms and liberties and rights. That's not how you love your neighbor. But again, it's the mind that works backwards, which is called the depraved mind. It sees good as evil and evil as good. So when life becomes gray, confusing, and you see things are backwards, but people tell you they're forward. You see things as upside down, but people tell you they're right way up. And they start demanding you love the way they would define it. That, folks, is when your theology comes home to roost. That's when your theology comes home to roost. Why do you think the church is split right down the middle over these issues today? You see, when the pressure is on, what do you do? <clears throat> what do you believe about God and government when the pressure is on? When the pressure is on, what do you believe about what it means to compromise or not to compromise? When the pressure is on, what do you believe about purpose in life, the meaning of the life that we have? 
What do you do? What do you make of the promises of God, Joel, when the market is bearish and not bullish? Now, now the freedom seems to be vanishing quicker than we ever believed that they would and thought that they would. What do you do now as a, as a believer? Where do you stand? So today I would like us to look at the world with theological glasses on because when pressure comes, your theology comes home to roost like it did for Daniel, like it did for Shadrach, like it did for Meshach and Abednego, like it did for David, like it did for everybody. I mean, what did David do while he was hunted by the king of the country, the king of Israel? What did he do? So today, I'd like for us to kind of run across the whole board. I want to give you a dashboard view of some of the very important things for us to know in order to theologically perceive what's going on in our life and how to respond to it. How many of you would like to have a theology in an upside-down world that you can hold on to, right? What does that mean? It means like I'm not looking for a philosopher to tell me how to get through these dark days. I'm looking for a theologian to tell me how to get through these dark days. That's what I'm looking for. Somebody who will say, well, this is what the Bible says about what you're experiencing. So the first question we want to talk about is, who is the true enemy? You have to know who your enemy is. Otherwise, what are you doing warring? You might just be killing the right people. <coughs> and hugging the wrong ones. <laughs> Second question, what is evil? I mean, people constantly telling you to love more. You're like, I thought I was loving. No, what you're doing is evil. Okay, well then what is evil? We're also going to ask the question or talk about what are the five different kinds of God's wrath. God has wrath that He pours out at different times throughout human history and eternity. And these five kinds of wrath are outlined inside the Scriptures. What are they? Because we need to recognize them in order to understand our times. And then we're going to ask the question, how do, we rec how do we recognize God's wrath of abandonment? How do we know which wrath is which? So in the future, when the government wants to shut the church down, your resolve would be tested again, but more severely so the second time round, the third time round, the fourth time round. There are many reasons, and people will, if some people who are currently fighting where I stand, uh, my question to them is just, okay, at what point do you stand where I stand? At what point do, uh, are you the judge of when it is right to no longer compromise or should we just kind of like not compromise from the get-go? <clears throat> so at what point do you say, oh, well, now I'm going to draw the line? Well, if that's what you say, if, it's, if you're going to cross the bridge when you get there, it means that you see yourself as judge and not God. So in the future, when, when that happens, we'll be more severely tested and it's best to decide today what you're going to do tomorrow. Decide now what you're going to do then when you get there. Don't try and build your house in the middle of a storm. Don't build your house when everything is confusing. Build your house now and know where you live. I live here. This is where I stand. And I don't change. So when I get there, my decision is always the same. So you can always respond with, I've made my decision, now you make yours. Because throughout church history, that is what? The saints of God have done. So there are many reasons as to why I say these things and why I say things are not going to change anytime soon and that the heat will simply be turned up from here on out. But first, when we turn to the news, we can see evil 
actions done everywhere by evil people and wicked politicians every day. But realize this, that the true enemy that drives those who act according to darkness, realize who they really are. So ask the question, who is my true enemy? Well, your true enemy has been defined in Ephesians 6 verse 12. It says it. It says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Or other verses say, uh, you do not fight, uh, or you do, your, your struggle is not against what? Flesh and blood. Many struggle. But your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against another person, the Bible says. But it's against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, the demonic, over the present darkness, over this present darkness. There is a cosmic demonic power over this present darkness. The Bible calls them rulers in this world and authorities in this world. And it says, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So they are in heavenly places ruling as authorities in this present darkness. The point here is that evil is visible when somebody acts in an evil way. You can't say, oh, there's evil, unless you can see somebody acting out the evil you're pointing to. That person who performed that act of evil, however, or signed that evil policy into effect, he or she is not your enemy. That politician you do not like, he is not your enemy, she is not your enemy. That neighbor that keeps on kicking your dog, they are not your enemy. <laughs> right? It says very clearly that our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but what drives people to do the evil that they do. That one is your enemy. According to Ephesians 6.12, it is the satanic forces which influences the people who do evil. And the satanic forces is the one, are the ones we war against. So you might assume by stating, okay then Jacques, are you saying that evil spirits are in control of humans? Are evil spirits in control of what's going on in this world today? The answer is yes, and the answer is no, both. Yes and no. They are and they are not. Paul said, it's not I who love. He says, I, he says I, I live in such a way that I don't, I don't beat against the air. You know, I don't, run, I don't run in vain. I work hard. I beat my body. I do it. Yet it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Yeah, I, I, live, I live completely for God. But you know what? It's really God doing it in me. It's both of us. For instance, like MacArthur always asks, who wrote Romans? Who wrote that book? I thought it was Paul. You know? Is it Paul or is it God? It's both. So the question is, are these people who are performing all these evil acts, these evil people who act in an evil way, are they guilty? Are the demons guilty? <laughs> are they controlling the world? Is God controlling the world? The answer is always, yeah, both. Both. People who do evil things are tempted, inspired, and controlled by evil spirits that, act, that exist behind their evil motives, driving them to do evil. They have evil spirits driving them unto evil. Watch this. But you, saint, you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why you are driven towards a holy life. Many people are like, oh, I was filled with the Holy Ghost. So 
Uh, yeah, you could have fooled me. <laughs> you got a different spirit drive than you, buddy. Yeah, but I go, Bob, Bob, Bob. Doesn't matter. <laughs> no, no, no. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it will be evident in the life that you live. Right? That's being filled with the Holy Ghost. So people who do evil things, they are tempted by, and they are inspired by and controlled by evil spirits because this evil spirit... The Bible says the whole world is under the sway of this wicked one. It's behind their motives. That's why they do it. However, even so, evil humans do evil things, and those who do them will be held accountable by God for the very evil things that they've chosen to do, because they've chosen to do these things after being inspired and tempted to do them. So they will be held accountable by God, and yes, even though it is the evil spirits in the world and the principalities and the powers and the cosmic powers in the world that's influencing the world unto evil, yes, those who give themselves to it will be held accountable before God for every single evil deed they've done. However, that does not mean, folks, so important, this is today is the day your, your theology comes home to, home to roost. It does not mean that God is not sovereign in this world. It does not mean that God is not ordaining what you see taking place around the world. Of course He is. He's God. Oh, Jacques, I got too many things going contrary in my mind. So what am I saying? I'm saying that people are guilty of their actions. Principalities, powers, rulers, and evil cosmic powers are influencing them to do what they're doing. While at the same time, all of this is happening while God is sitting on His throne, ruling and reigning. Almighty God, the ruler of heaven and earth. And this is where Arminianism decide to change the theology to match their crisis. You cannot do that. You cannot suddenly decide God is no longer on the throne. Because by the way, it looks, it looks like Satan is ruling. Well, he is. It's like the guy that has no spiritual insight. He goes like, all these men are ruling. The person with a little bit of insight goes, all these principalities and powers are ruling. But then the person that just goes to scriptures, it says, no, actually God's ruling. It says it. Yes, yes, and yes. And you need to understand how that happens in order to be at peace in the life and confident in the life that you see you now are given to live. You, God, cause you to live in this day. And He demands that you understand the things that are going on so that you can respond to them scripturally and theologically. God is the ruler of heaven and earth. People are quick to then credit to God's account all the evil things that they see happening in this world because they say He's sovereign, so He must be responsible for everything. It's a little short-sighted to see that, and it's dangerous to believe it. Why? Because you cannot attribute or attribute, is that the word, attribute, to God evil. That is blasphemous. You cannot attribute to the works of, to Satan, the works of God. That is blasphemous. God is never guilty of anything. He's perfectly sinless and holy. So here's the Bible truth on this issue. God is just. God is pure, without sin, without guilt. He only does what is righteous, and He Himself is never unjust. He has no shadow 
within him, his light only. Satan and those who do his bidding are guilty and will be judged by God for the evil they have chosen to do. Both of them, Satan and the ones who were influenced by him, they will be judged by God for the evil that they have chosen. Even so, not one demon or one politician will ever perform an, an evil act without almighty sovereign God's permission. God never acts in an evil way, but He purposefully steps out of the way for evil to run its course, and then He judges it for what it did. Let me say it again. God never acts in an evil way, because you need to understand me. God is never, never guilty of any of the evil that you've seen happen in this world. But He purposefully, in order to fulfill His purposes, He purposefully steps out of the way so evil can run its course, and then His wrath will fall upon all those involved. I'll give you two examples in the Bible. Imagine you were able to stand right at the well, and you were privy to everything that was happening. You, you were standing there right now watching Je Joseph's brothers grab him, rip that coat that his father gave him from him. And you go, that's not right. He did nothing to you. But these brothers continue. They are seething with anger and they are hating their brother because the, their father loved him and favored him. And you, you're like a pressure cooker, so angry at what you're seeing happening. The next thing is they throw him into that well, all the way down into a dark pit. Your anger is escalating every moment when you see these injustices and this hate and this evil coming from these brothers who, who are jealous. The next thing is they fish him out of the pit and they sell him into slavery. What would, you, what would you say when you were to stand at that well, front row seat to everything that was going on? You would go, this is so satanic. I mean, who could hate this much? You would be so angry. You would call it pure evil, the work of Satan. You would never have been able to see the hand of God in any of it. Yet, the Bible tells us God. It tells us that God meant for this to happen. Genesis 50 verse 20. As for you, Joseph said to his brothers, this is when he was already prince of Egypt. His brothers came hat in hand, begging for food because they were going to starve. Didn't know that they're standing in front of their brother. And this is how Joseph responds to them the moment they realized it was Joseph they were bowing before. He says, as for you, brothers, you meant evil against me when you threw me into that pit and when you sold me into slavery. But God meant, He meant it. He meant for it to happen for good in order to bring about this present result to keep many people alive. You see, if you had to stand at that pit the moment it was happening, you couldn't have seen God's hand in it because we are so short-sighted. Yet God meant for it to happen. 
You see, evil was involved. Well, let me say this. Jealous brothers were involved. Evil spirits were involved. God strategized the whole thing. Planned all of it. And it happened just as He planned. And He planned it for what reason? To fulfill His purposes. Because you're there. Example number two. This is throughout scriptures. God is sovereign. And yes, Satan does rule the evil person. And yes, the evil person who gives himself to the influence of Satan will pay the price for it. He'll be judged by God. Second example is if you were standing at the foot of the cross, Golgotha, that day when you saw Jesus being, you know, carrying that cross up the hill, he was being punched in the face. And you knew. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was holy. He only came to serve His Father. He didn't live for Himself. He was selfless. Yet this man who had done no one wrong, never sinned in his life, is being punched. You watch them rip his beard out of his face. And they're whipping him to the point where you can see his intestines from behind. He's gasping for air. You see them nail his hands and his feet to the cross and they lift him up in the air. You see them mock him. You see them spit on him. And you see the Roman soldiers take a spear and stab him in his side. What would you say? I have never seen any people, I've never seen people this evil. Can you imagine how evil that must have looked if you had to stand right there? with the limited knowledge that you had about what was going on around you, you would see men acting in an extremely wicked way. And you would even be a little bit more spiritual in the sense that you would probably know like Satan has filled these people. The demonic spirits are behind them, driving them to do this evil. But unless you have the full counsel of the Lord, you wouldn't know that it was God orchestrating for all all of it to happen and then will judge those who did the very thing He orchestrated to take place. Acts 2, verse 22 and 23, it says, Men of Israel, who is He talking to? Men of Israel. Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know. You know that He's from God. You know it. You've seen all the mighty works. You've seen the miracles. Heard the teachings. You know it's from God. He's from God. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Wow, there it is. This Jesus delivered up to you into your evil hands to to be nailed on a cross, to be spat upon, to be mocked, to be stabbed, and to be murdered. This Jesus delivered up according to the Jews' anger, according to Roman law, according to what? According to the definite plan of God 
you, you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men. Couldn't be clearer, folks. Men acting evil. Driven by evil spirits to do the evil they act, they, 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 they acting out. All of it in God's plan. See, the, the crucifixion of the most holy, pure, and sinless Christ was planned by me, God says, according to my definite plan, and you're guilty for doing it. Men of Israel. So if you were to be an onlooker that day, you would never have guessed. You could never have been able to look at all of that evil and go like, God's at work. Blessed are the pure in heart. They see God. Wow, God, look at what you're doing. God's at work. The point here is that even though we only see wicked deeds all around us, we see evil men in this earth, there are evil powers that drive these evil men to act wickedly. And even though there is a power of evil in the earth today, it's all set up. You need to know this. Don't fall apart. Don't have a meltdown. America might go away. Don't. I'm not, I'm not saying the sky is falling. It might not. But throughout, throughout, throughout history, I mean, which, which kingdom stood? It says very clearly, God lifts up and then he brings that one down. Things change. Maybe Babylon's coming. I don't know. I don't know. All I know is God's hand is moving. And it wouldn't have happened had God not made it happen. Had he not said, this is the time for me to stand back. Let it have its run. Let it run its course. So I can come in and pour my wrath out on those who participated in the crucifixion participated in the selling into slavery. It's all a setup. You see, God has every single righteous and unrighteous king, governor, politician, and every demon playing right into his hand. Right into his hand. Every evil event plays right into God's plan every time. It never doesn't go according to God's plan. It always goes, ends up being what he has planned. Think about this verse Loved by most Christians, Romans 8 verse 28, you can probably quote it, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purposes. You see, if, if God was not ordaining evil, if He was not able to ordain evil, and if He did not move things around, step, step aside when He wanted to and chose to, if He didn't have the ability to stop and to start things, how could He fulfill that promise to you? If He could not raise up an evil Pharaoh and harden his heart in order to fulfill His purposes, if He couldn't do it, how could He fulfill this purpose or this promise? He says that He will cause all things to work together for your good. If He couldn't move evil or ordain it, then evil wouldn't obey Him. And it couldn't work out the way he planned at the crucifixion. It couldn't work out the way he planned at the well. 
Can you see what I'm saying? Ooh. Now this could be very confusing, but if it is biblical, therefore it is true, and therefore it is important for you and I to see. Because without a biblical worldview, without a biblical worldview, you will be driven to things like taking vengeance. Without a biblical worldview, you will walk around feeling slighted. You would, you would feel like God didn't come through. You would feel like you are surrounded by enemies when in fact they are not your enemies. They are your, they are your field where you're supposed to be, your harvest field. He's working all things out. So the walkaway point here is don't look at humans as your enemies. Don't look at politicians as your foe. We might be standing at the well or at the crucifixion, and we'll see evil all around us. It may seem completely impossible that it is God at work, but trust Him, He is at work. So we have to ask the question, well, then what is evil? What is evil? This is so important to know. What is evil? Well, evil is nothing. Evil is nothing. Now, the Christian scientists, they believe evil is simply an illusion. But that is not what we are talking about when we say evil is nothing. The word nothing is really the word no thing, no thing, the prefix, the negative prefix of something. In theology, one of the ways we give definition to things that are mysterious by nature is that we call them what they are not. This is how we give definition to things that are mysterious to us. For instance, when we are talking about God, we say that God is what? Infinite. What are we saying? We're saying that He is not finite. He's infinite, right? So to define this mysterious aspect about God's infinity or eternality, we say that He is infinite. He is not finite. Another important thing to understand in defining evil is to define it against the backdrop of what is good, what is God. All right? So in the Bible, the concept of evil is defined by the words such as ungodliness. We define evil as unrighteousness. We will look at the situation at the cross or the evil at the, at the well, and we'll say it's an injustice. You put the good in the back and then you say, it's not this. It is unholy. So that the term is used as the opposite of the very thing that is being defined. That means ungodliness can only be understood against the previous concept of godliness. If you understand godliness, you can say that is ungodly. Unrighteousness can only be understood against the previous concept of righteousness. We know this is righteous. The Bible says these things are righteous. Therefore, that is unrighteous. You have to have the backdrop of truth, the backdrop of God's goodness, in order to know what evil truly is. Because it's the not that. It's when that's gone, evil stands. Right? When godliness walks out, ungodliness exists. When righteousness is eliminated, unrighteousness rises its head. 
It's very much the same as, just talked about the Wednesday night group about this. Darkness is nothing. It's not something, it's nothing. It's the absence of light. When you take light out, you have what? Darkness. When you put light in, darkness is gone. You take God out, you have evil, it's nothing. It's God's absence, it's Ichabod. Same thing with cold. Cold is nothing. It's the absence of heat, right? And so we, so we define evil by saying what it's not. It is ungodly, unrighteous, un injustice, unholy. Injustice can only be defined when it is measured up against justice. Think about this, folks. You have all these people who have no idea. They have no cooking clue as to what God defines as justice, and they're walking around tagging everything as unjust. This is unjust. This is unjust. This is unjust. You go like, what is just? Uh, everything that works for me, that's just. That's how they got to such an upside-down judicial system. I mean, the judicial system is a real mess. Do you know that the Bible said the whole entire law is built upon, judicial system is built upon an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Somebody steals a half a million dollars from you. You know what happens to them? They go to prison and they experience all the freedoms prison has to offer on your account. That's unjust, injustice. You know what that person should do? He should become your property until he's paid off his debt to you. He should pick up five jobs if he needs to. Because an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, nothing more. Justice is limited. He should go out there and find himself five jobs until he can pay you off. He shouldn't get all snuggled up and, and be corrected in the correctional facility. You don't see that in the Bible where anybody's in there for like a lifetime. No, if you were given life, that's what that meant. If you stole something, you're going to return it fourfold. I mean, why do you think Zacchaeus said so? I stole money, I'll return fourfold. I'll give everything back. That's justice. That came to a reality, that became a reality to me <clears throat> when I was in South Africa. My, um, my dad had given me this tiny little Datsun. Dat, do you know what a Datsun is? Nissan Datsun, yeah. 120Y. I see these little scooters on the street, and I'm thinking, like, that's a bigger engine than my Datsun had. <laughs> and Andrew, my, my music friend that you have heard before, he, was, he, he and I were making fun of a guy at a flea market because of the way he was walking. We shouldn't have. This guy saw us. Anyway, so we took off, and we're standing at the red light, and this guy pulls up next to us. And we go like, that's him. And we keep making fun of him the same way. Shouldn't have. This guy got so angry. He jumps out of his car. He walks over to my car, and he starts kicking in the door. Literally, it was like a Coke can. <laughs> oh, Andrew, and I'm like, stop. <laughs> I couldn't even open my door. He kicked my door in so badly. He broke my windows, everything. So I'm off to the police station, and I took his number. 
And uh, I've got no insurance. Of course, this guy's got no insurance. And I said to the cop, what do I do? He says, well, get yourself a lawyer, take him to court. I'm like, how much is that going to cost me? Well, get a lawyer, ask him. I'm like, I don't have any money. I'm like, I only go to the flea market to people watch. <laughs> I have no money. He says, well, then you can't do anything. I'm like, what if I take him and he wins? He says, then you lose your money. What if, what, if, what if he loses? Well, he has no insurance, so yeah, he'll get a fine. So he'll pay the government and nobody fixes my car? Yeah. Like, I don't understand how this works. An eye for an eye. Fix my car. That's all. He might have, might have said, well, fix my ego. <laughs> You're making fun of me. <laughs> but our justice system really, really isn't what it should be. Of course not. Why not? Because if you don't understand biblical justice, how can you say something is unjust? If you don't understand righteousness, how can you say something is unrighteous? If you don't understand love, how can you say something is unloving? So in the same way, evil cannot be understood as a thing, but rather as a no thing, as the absence of something. Evil is where there is no justice, no righteousness, no holiness, no godliness. Evil is where there is, where God is not. Like, for instance, in our schools. Evil is then where God is absent. So you can expect things to be unjust, unholy, unrighteous, because God is no longer. So we have to ask a question, What are the five different kinds of God's wrath? Because God pours His wrath out upon evildoers. What are the five different kinds of God's wrath? Number one is the eternal wrath of God. The eternal wrath of God. This is the punishment God brings on sinners in eternal hell. Matthew chapter 25. The eternal wrath of God. That wrath of God was swallowed up at the cross for all those who are in Christ. The eternal wrath of God against your sins fell upon Christ, and therefore you will never taste the eternal wrath of God. But all those outside of the ark will taste eternal wrath, and it is eternal. Secondly, we have what is called eschatological wrath. This is the wrath of God that is revealed at the end of the world. This is end-time wrath. The, the seven, I think seven bowls of God's wrath being poured out. It is Jesus coming with a sword making war. Before He pours them into eternal wrath, you have end-time wrath. Luke 21, Romans 2, Revelation 6 and 8. Number three, we have what's called cataclysmic wrath. This includes Sodom and Gomorrah. This includes Noah's flood, number 16. This includes tsunamis and hurricanes and earthquakes, natural disasters, cataclysmic wrath of God. The earth is groaning. The earth is groaning. Cataclysmic wrath. Without sin, it wouldn't be. Number four, you have what's called consequential wrath. The consequential wrath of God. This is simply understood as the sowing and reaping wrath of God. Many are sick because they have sowed a life. 
where they haven't cared for themselves or their bodies. They have not been good shepherds or good stewards over themselves. Others find no mercy with people because they themselves have never shown mercy to people. Some find no hospitality with people because they have never hospital. Others never receive anything from people because they themselves have never given anything to people. In the same measure in which you give, in that same measure you will receive. This is a principle, a law that will never change, and it is a kind of wrath because all the evil that people do, that evil they will experience in their body. The evil they keep living out, the rebellion they keep on showing, that rebellion works within them the wrath of God. It's called consequential wrath. Number five is where we wanted to land. It's called the wrath of abandonment. The wrath of abandonment. This is when God steps out aside and allows evil to run its course, like we saw. It is when God takes His hand of protection off of a person, off of a people, off of a group of people, or off of a, listen closely, a nation. Wrath of abandonment. So how do we recognize God's wrath of abandonment? Is this a true thing? And if so, when do we know it is in effect? How do we know the wrath of God is currently at work in an individual's life, in a group of people's lives, or in a nation? How do we know this? It's pretty clearly outlined, systematically and sequentially outlined. And uh, I've said this many times, but I thought that we should use this. Uh, we should take the time today just to look at this because you have to see this in order to understand the world you live in. Please, for heaven's sakes, do not construct a worldview by going to some philosopher. Please, do not go in order to construct your child's worldview to some political party or news outlet. That is not how you construct a worldview. You go to the Scriptures. So when God abandons a person, it is evident in three very clear, clear degrees of evil. Very clear degrees of evil. When you see these three degrees of evil, you know God is stepping aside and allowing, He's ordaining evil to run its course and then judge it for what it did. Everybody involved will be judged for what it did, for what it chose. Romans chapter 1 verse 18. Let me read it to you and watch closely. God's wrath, can everybody say God's wrath? Is being revealed. Okay, can you see being is not was? Many people teach it was or it will be, but it not, no longer is. The war is over. Yes, it is for those in Christ. God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against the ungodly behavior and the injustice of human, injustice of human beings who silence the truth with injustice. They see the truth, silence it. Let's not go there. I'm, I'm teaching to you out of Romans chapter 1, which you will not find. You will not find 3% of the churches in the United States touch this chapter. Why not? Suppressing the truth of God. The truth you have 
determines when you suppress the truth of God, the degree of that truth you have is the degree of the wrath of God you'll experience. So here we are in the United States, founded upon Christian, Judeo-Christian principles, in what we think is a Christian nation, which it's not. Barack Obama specifically said that at his inauguration. We are no longer a Christian nation. You can go listen to it yourself. But here we are, and we're seeing all these, the truth of God being suppressed or silenced. Verse 19, this is because what is known about God should be plain to them because God made it plain to them. We ask, how did God make it plain to them? Ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, God's eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen because they are understood through the things God has made. In other words, God is saying, stop playing, all right? When you see the sun rise, and you want to say that there is no creator, you look at the creation and you go like, there's no creator. Stop playing. There is no such thing as an atheist. God doesn't believe in atheists. He doesn't believe they exist because they don't. He says it's been clearly revealed that there is a creator. You look at a house, you know that there was a builder. You look at a building, you see a builder. You know there's a builder. You look at a painting, you know that there was a painter. You look at the creation, you know there's a creator. It says, so humans are without an excuse. That's what he says right there. So humans are without an excuse. Verse 21, although they knew God, or they knew that He was there, they saw the creation, therefore they knew there was a creator, they didn't honor God as God or thank Him. The sun kept on rising and they never thanked Him. Instead, their reasoning became pointless. Their reasoning became pointless. Keep going. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Verse 22, while they were claiming to be wise, they, they made fools of themselves they exchanged the glory of the immoral, immortal God for images that looked like mortal humans. In other words, they made images that looked like birds, animals, and reptiles. So in other words, instead of worshiping the God that created all things, they started worshiping the things they create. So God abandoned them to their heart's desires. What did God do? God will never leave you nor forsake you. Aha. Hmm. Okay. So God abandoned them to what? To their heart's desires. Their heart desired evil. God said, let me step aside. Go ahead. Let evil run its course. God abandoned them to their heart's desires, which led to the moral corruption of degrading their own bodies with each other. Okay, let's just stop there. That's the first degree of evil that you will see. The moment God abandons, the first thing you will see is what you saw in 1960s, the sexual revolution. What did God do? He abandoned them so that they... What verse is that? 24. So God abandoned them to their heart's desires, which led them to moral corruption of degrading their own bodies with each other. Okay, so sexual deviation, promiscuity starts running rampant. Of course, abortion was necessary. People could live the way they wanted, no consequences. And we saw the whole entire sexual revolution in the 60s. Verse 25, 
They traded God's truth for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creation instead of the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26. That's why God abandoned them to degrading lusts. This is the second time God abandons them to a greater degree. He abandons them to, their, to, de, to degrading lust. Their females traded natural sexual relations with, for unnatural sexual relationships. Also in the same way, the males traded natural sexual relations with females. Instead of females, they burned with lust for each other. Males performed shameful actions with males, and they were paid back with the penalty they deserve for their mistake in their own bodies. So, the first time God abandons a person, a people, or a nation, there is a sexual revolution. The second time God abandons them, you will see what? Homosexual revolution, right? And then it says, and they were paid for, they, they received the consequence for this. And I thought I'll just mention this. According to the Nation, National Center for Biotechnology Information, the average lifespan of a homosexual is 50 years. Did you know that? Other studies even suggest that it's as low as 42 years of age, the average lifespan of a homosexual lifestyle. Then verse 28, it says, Since they didn't think it was worthwhile to acknowledge God, God abandoned them the third time to a defective mind to do inappropriate things. It's going to list these things now. But this is the third degree of evil that you see when God steps back the third time. Or the third step back. First step back, sexual revolution, 1960s. Second step back, same-sex marriage. Validated, part of life now. Third step back, dysfunctional mind. Dysfunctional mind. Literally can't even tell you if you're a male or female. Literally can't. It says, verse 29, so they were filled with all injustice, not justice, but injustice, wicked behavior, greed and evil behavior. They are full of jealousy, murder, fighting, deception, and malice. They are gossips. They slander people, and they hate God. They hate God. It's evident. They are rude and proud. Oh, they're proud. And they brag. Okay, got it. They invent ways to be evil, and they are disobedient to their parents. They are without understanding, disloyal, without affection, and without mercy. They are merciless, have you noticed? They know that uh, though they know God's decision, that those who persist in such practices deserve what? Death, all right? They not only keep doing these things, but also approve others who practice them. It is a family of God. You can never, you cannot support that kind of thing. Read that last verse. Now, can they do whatever they want? Absolutely. They can do whatever they want without my affirmation. And this is the sin of evangelicalism today. You, you know what? I love the guy by the name Doug Wilson. Here's why. One of the reasons. Is he perfect? By no means, no. Why? I know exactly where he stands. <laughs> I have, there's no question about where the guy stands on every single issue. None. I know a lot of ministers that I spend a lot of time with. I have no cooking clue where they stand on most issues. I have no idea. And I spend so much time with them. Please don't be those people. Stop playing. 
So I wanted to outline the three degrees of abandonment of a person or a nation. A mind that is dysfunctional is a mind that cannot judge accurately. It'll punish the righteous, it'll celebrate the unrighteous. It, it cannot do the right thing. The mind is irrational. And it'll eventually implode. And every single empire has done this, just the same thing. But why? Because the hand of God. It's time. I've been patient. I've given them a huge amount of truth. More truth than any other nation has ever had. Therefore, they are accountable to me for the truth that they received. And they will, they will receive the judgment for the truth, the amount of truth they suppressed. And that will determine the degree of the wrath of God upon them. So when you see these things, a sexual revolution, a homosexual re revolution, or irrational thinking in high places, ask yourself, is the fifth kind of the wrath of God currently active? Do you see those three degrees of evil taking place in a nation or in a person or in a people? And if you do, well then look up. Look up, because that's where your hope comes from. He is sovereign. He is God. You're not going to stop Him. He is going to use everything, even those that rebel against Him, to fulfill His purposes. It's not a, it's not a great picture, but He is a great God. You see, when civil government commands what God forbids, then obey God. When civil government forbids what God commands, then obey God every time. In this case, we accept the consequences. You do not comply and you accept the consequences because ultimately it was God who gave you all that you had, including the opportunity. Does that make sense? You always appeal to the highest court. And the highest court is God. We do not riot. We do not storm the capital. We do not burn. We do not loot. Why not? Because we serve the sovereign God who rules over all. We are part of a kingdom, and it's not this one. You see, vengeance, the Bible says, is God's. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not yours. It's His. God builds His kingdom not by means of revolution, but by means of regeneration. That's how God builds His kingdom. That's why it has... It, of... of his rule, there is no end. Of the increase of His government, there is no end, the Bible says. God builds His kingdom by regeneration, not revolution. And the way we fight is by therefore preaching the gospel louder, preaching the gospel clearer, preaching the gospel with a greater urgency and a much greater conviction than ever before. This is our response. This is our response. Amen.